0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the iPlay 2 podcast, where relatives of famous athletes, entertainers, and musicians get to tell their stories. I'm your host, Rob Adler. On the show this week is former soccer player and current coach of York United in the Canadian Premier League, Martin Nash. Martin was a member of the Gold Cup winning Canada squad back in 2000, and he played professionally in the U.S. and England as well. Hoop fans may remember Martin's brother, Steve Nash, who was a two-time NBA MVP and is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. No problem. Being with your involvement in soccer, how did you first get involved with soccer?
1: In a young age, my dad was a semi-pro player and grew up as his, his number one sport. So as soon as I could really walk, we were kicking a ball uh, in the backyard. It was something my dad was always passionate about brought that to us, and we've been passionate about it ever since we were little.
0: Your folks were from England. Your brother was born in South Africa. You were born in Canada. Kind of take us through how your folks got from England to ending up in British Columbia.
1: My dad was doing an apprenticeship in South Africa, and he was playing semi-pro soccer there at the same time. So he was playing in what now is the second division in South Africa while he was doing an apprenticeship in print, and He did two stints. After the first stint, he went home. He met my mom, they ended up getting married, and they went back to South Africa. They had my brother. Kind of time to leave South Africa. Apartheid wasn't great, and it was kind of getting bad at the time, and they wanted to get out of there. They didn't want to go back to England, so they were looking at where could they go. They wanted to immigrate somewhere else, and they actually had two options. One was Australia, and the other was Canada. What kind of made the decision for them was my dad had a job in Canada when they landed, so we didn't have to go there and then find a job. He had a job as soon as he landed, so they ended up flying into Regina, Saskatchewan. My mom was, I guess, seven months pregnant at the time with me, and Stephen would have been, you know, a year and a half-ish. So that's how they ended up in Canada, uh, one of the coldest cities in the country, into winter, which was probably about minus 20 at the time, so I'm not sure they knew what they were getting into.
0: Your family ended up settling after Regina in British Columbia. What was it like to grow up in uh, British Columbia?
1: Victoria, the city we grew up in, was quiet. Somewhere around 200,000 people. Uh, big enough that it kind of had everything. Small enough that it was quite safe. You kind of knew enough and knew everyone. And had a good small-town feeling in a lot of ways. It was a great place to grow up. There was tons to do. It was a very outdoorsy place. So we were always out playing and riding your bikes, playing sports, whatever sport it may be.
0: Growing up in BC and playing all different sports, was soccer something you naturally gravitated to because of your dad? Or did you gravitate to other sports instead?
1: I think early soccer was the sport when we were five, six, seven, because we were so active and just wanted to always be out playing and stuff. And being new to Canada, I think my parents just kind of put us in a bit of everything. From a young age, we started hockey around seven, I guess. So we was soccer and hockey in the winter. And then when the spring came, it was baseball and lacrosse. We kept busy. We played a lot of sports and loved it because we just loved to compete and play. And sports were the number one thing for us. So soccer, I think, was always our base sport that we kind of never left and always played, but enjoyed playing a lot of other sports, especially from a young age. As we got older, I think around 13, basketball came in and we dropped hockey because it was just too much. Didn't have enough time in the day, so to speak. So as we got older, it evolved a little bit into other sports, but we were just the type of kids and and our friend group, we, we just always wanted to be playing sports.
0: With how close an age you and Steve are, was there any kind of competitiveness between you two, like in terms of trying to get the starting position or in terms of trying to score the last basket. How competitive were you two with each other?
1: We were. We were competitive with each other, but at the same time when we were on each other's teams, we were always team first and team players. I played up a year in pretty much everything, even though I was almost two years younger than most of the guys playing. But, you know, it was good. The thing was my brother was always the best player in the teams that I grew up in whether it was soccer, basketball, baseball, he was always the best and I was oftentimes the second best i grew up knowing my role in a way we competed and always wanted to be better than him. we compete when we we play one-on-one or whatever but like when it came to the team we were always the type to kind of put our ego aside and do what was best for the team
0: when you were growing up and playing sports how popular was soccer in canada at that time
1: yeah it was very popular i mean i remember when i was 10 or 11 canada were in the world cup so soccer is quite popular in those moments, I remember there was a few players from the national team that were from Victoria, where we grew up. So we you know, go soccer camp, and we met a few of them. And So it was a big sport. It was a big participation sport. I don't know if there was really a path to pro, so to speak, in the sport. It was hockey and basketball, baseball, where you saw a professional pathway, so to speak. And we played those sports at a high level. Basketball, obviously, was a big sport for us played at provincial level and we both played at the university level. Baseball, we were both very good at too. I mean, I was provincial MVP at, at 15. We played every sport at a, at a high, high level. But like I say, we, we were athletic naturally a lot of it and just loved to compete and play. So we were always out working on whatever sport it was in the season that we were playing that sport.
0: Being the son of somebody who was very active in sports like your father... Were there any kind of drills or training tips that he did with you to maybe improve your footwork, your hand-eye coordination?
1: I wouldn't say drills, especially with soccer when we were little. My dad, poor guy, would uh, come home from work 9 to 5 and have his suit on, walk in the door at 5.30, and me and my brother would be demanding for him to go out and play with us in the backyard. Most of the time, like 90% of the time, it was soccer, and he would make rules for us. You can only play with your left foot because he always felt it was good to have two feet. So from a young age, I would say from seven or eight years old, we both were two-footed soccer players, which I think looking back at probably was good for multiple reasons in other sports with footwork and coordination. Play with both feet still. Having played and coached professional soccer players, not many are really good with both feet. So to have that, I think, was a good basis for athletic footwork in a lot of ways, just because of how good you have to be and coordinated you have to be to play with both feet.
0: With all the soccer background, was soccer your first love or was there something like baseball, basketball, or even lacrosse?
1: I think soccer was my first love. It was the first real sport from a young age. Uh, We'd always go back to England, visit family, and we got to go to some Tottenham Hotspurs games outside the club, our family support, and still support to this day. And My dad grew up a mile from where they play, and to go to those games at six, seven, eight years old, the crowds and how loud they were, singing and chanting—it was—you just kind of helped you fall in love with the sport even more. So those childhood memories of our favorite athlete, probably for both of me and my brother at the time when we were little, was Glenn Hoddle, who was uh, Tottenham's best player in the '80s. It was just. Amazing to watch for us. And he was a two-footed midfielder, which we we kind of both were at the time. So he was uh, someone we looked up to. And it was those memories from the young ages, I think, just drilled that sport into us. And to this day, even though my brother went in a different sport and a different path, he still loves Taunton Osborne and soccer to this day.
0: With the focus on soccer, you mentioned, you know, your brother ended up playing basketball. And of course, he's a Hall of Famer. But you played basketball too as well at the college level in Canada.
1: I was good at both sport, obviously, and I had options to play soccer and basketball. And I chose to play college basketball in Canada at a high school. And, and I was a starter as a 17-year-old in university. I w- was enjoying it. But the school I went to wasn't a great fit for me and had a lot of problems. Um, it was minus 40 in the winter. And... The team wasn't a great atmosphere to be around. Did that the half a year. So I left at Christmas time because it wasn't a good fit for me for many reasons. I came back and was training with the Kane national team, full men's national team, the, the ones that weren't playing overseas or uh, were on a break. And they had a camp on in Victoria because that's where the head coach was from. So I was training with them for a long time and had a couple of US college visits, University of Portland and uh, University of Utah for basketball looking to further my career actually in the U.S. system but out of the blue I hadn't played soccer in probably say a year. got a call to try out for the Canadian national team in the U-20s for the World Cup qualifying and after two sessions in a game they told me I'd made the team. So I had a decision to make in that moment. Do I stick with basketball and try to go one route or do I stick with soccer? My kind of my first love and you know I really wanted to take a chance of trying to get to a World Cup. So I decided to play with the U-20s in soccer.
0: Well, playing with the u 20 in soccer, what kind of doors did that open up
1: for you? I had a really good qualifying campaign. I think I had like five goals and five assists in the qualifying. We finished third, which at the time didn't get into the World Cup because I think it was only two in CONCACAF. It didn't change till till a few years later. But from there... We played an exhibition game against the Vancouver 86ers at the time, which is now the Whitecaps. And I think I scored two goals and uh, we beat them and they offered me a contract to play professionally. I think I was 19 at the time. I was really enjoying playing soccer, back at it. Just started playing soccer again. Enjoying the sport. And I'd seen a path now to make a career out of it. I had a really good first season. And at the end of the season, there was... It was actually another coach within the league that actually set me up to go to England and play.
0: Before we get to going to England and, and playing, was there any added pressure of playing for the provincial home team? I
1: wasn't, I never have been to be too pressured because I played so many sports and in so many moments, I just loved playing. I was always leaned upon, and I enjoyed that aspect of of the game. I like the pressure. I like to play. I, I didn't really feel it too much so I, I loved the opportunity I just ran with it so it was a great experience to play I mean at the time this is pre-MLS so there was I think six or eight professional teams in North America and so the standard of the game in North America actually was quite good at the time and so it was it was a great learning experience for me and at a young age at 19 years old to be playing every day against the Seattle Sounders at, at the time and Colorado Foxes was one of the other teams. They all had U.S. national team players on it. So it was a great experience for me being a 19-year-old to kind of cut my teeth and start learning my trade.
0: How did that prepare you for going over to England and taking a step up in competition?
1: It was massive for me because I was playing against men and quality players. Some had played in in Europe and in England and other countries and had had good careers and maybe come home or were just on a, on a spell back home before they went away again. So talent level was really good, and I played left wing at the time. My left back was an XK national player that played in the World Cup for Canada, and he was huge for me and helping me through games and and teaching me and pushing me. And he was a talker on the field, which really helped. And it was a quick learning curve, but it was made so much more successful. His name was Dave Norman, behind me, kind of coaching me and helping me through games. And I learned a lot. I think a year and a half I played for them before I went overseas. I learned a ton. I joke with Dave whenever I see him that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for him.
0: That's a good of an endorsement for a player and kind of being a mentor one could have.
1: He was great. He was hard on me, but fair. Demanded a lot, but was always there to pat me on the back. He had great leadership qualities and and taught me a ton about the game. And, you know, I'm always grateful for being able to play with him and learn from him. So it was, it was massive for me.
0: You went over to England and I think you went to Stockport, is that right?
1: Stockport County was the first stop, funny enough. I went over and I was staying with my aunt in London. I took a train from London to Manchester, which is about two and a half hours. Got there, they put me in a hotel and then I hopped on a bus and in the afternoon and took a three-hour bus ride up to Hull and played a reserve game at Hull. The coach kind of knew a bit about me. He was like, well, which position you play? So I left midfield, I said, and he played me left-center midfield, which I hadn't played before. The communication wasn't great, and I was too shy to say anything. Didn't have the greatest of games, but I had two or three moments where the coach saw something. They said, listen, go back to London and get your bags and why don't you come up, we'll put you in digs. And we want not have a serious look at you. So it was just an opportunity for me. And after my two weeks there, they offered me a contract. I think I signed in like October, I want to say, and did two seasons, basically.
0: So at the end of Stockport, I read something that said that you got injured. Is that right? I wasn't injured at the end.
1: We changed managers after the first year. When we got promoted to what is now the championship after the the first year, the manager that we had had gone to Southampton. We got another manager in. It was a rocky start as it was World Cup qualifying for 1998. And I was in the national team already as a 21-year-old. So I missed eight weeks for international games from like August to December. It was a rocky start because I was in and out of town in that league. I missed games when you went away. It wasn't like they had international week back then or anything else. So the manager didn't like that they are paying me in a way. And then I was missing a lot of games. So it just was a kind of a rocky start. I kind of fought my way back in in the second half of the year. But at the end of the season, I think just because I'd missed so many games, the manager says, I don't want to resign you because I didn't see you play enough. I think I'd played 20 games that year in the first team, and he decided it wasn't enough to offer me another contract. Basically, from what he was saying, it was just because I wasn't available enough.
0: With not being able to do another contract, did you find another spot in England?
1: I ended up coming back to North America. I did go to St. Johnson for the Scottish Premier League on trial and got injured. And We were talking about a contract, but I got injured, so... I had to come back and get fit. Obviously, we weren't to send someone injured. And then I came back, and I, I think I was fit a couple of weeks later. But in that spell, the manager had moved from that club, and I couldn't go back there anymore. And then I had an opportunity, uh, just kind of fell on my doorstep to play indoor soccer in Edmonton. It was something different, and it was a decent opportunity at the time as I just got fit, and I didn't really have anything. I jumped to the chance to play indoor soccer. I think it was the MISL at the time, the Major Indoor Soccer League.
0: Transitioning from outdoor soccer to indoor soccer, what was the biggest adjustment for you?
1: I think just the sharpness of the game because you just went on, you played for forty-five seconds, and you came off. It wasn't like it was continuous playing. From that aspect, it was different, and everything was short because you couldn't really play long balls. The game was slightly different. I think I did quite well with it because I had two feet, had a good shot with both feet. You know, I scored quite a lot of goals. It was a good passer, so I got a lot of assists. So it went quite well, and. I enjoyed it. It was one of those things that after a few months, you did just itching to get back out, or I was personally itching to get back outdoors.
0: So where did you end up going from Edmonton?
1: I went back to Vancouver right after Edmonton, and just for a few months until preseason started up, and I went back to England for another stint. Chester City is where I signed. I went over to Boat Wanderers first, and I was there a month. Didn't get a contract in the end, Well, once I I didn't get the contract, I was offered one the next day from Chester City. So I took that offer just to get playing some games. It was a smaller club and a lower league, but it was a good opportunity to get
0: some games and, and get playing. Did that end up helping you get on to the 2000 Canadian Gold Cup team? It did. To be honest, I was
1: playing quite well. I was getting quite a lot of games in. I think right before the Gold Cup, we did a trip to play Bermuda in an exhibition game. I did quite well on that trip. And with the games I was playing at Chester, I was put in the Gold Cup squad for yeah the 2000 Gold Cup.
0: The Gold Cup team for Canada did really well. Can you kind of walk us through what you remember about the Gold Cup? And Canada certainly, from what I remember, was not a favorite going in. No, we weren't.
1: I think it was funny. I, I don't even know if we had a full squad of 18. <laughs> we went to the the tournament kind of undermanned a little bit. I even think as a group, we had no pressure on us because we didn't feel we were playing for a Gold Cup, so to speak. We were just there to play some games and see how we do in a way. And I think our first game was Costa Rica. We played quite well. It was 2-2. The second game we played South Korea because they were one of the host countries for the 2002 World Cup. They were in the in the tournament. Drew them nil-nil, but then when we went and watched them play Costa Rica they drew 2-2 with Costa Rica so we all had the same score there was no tiebreaker to be had so the committee said to our staff that we'll flip a coin tomorrow to see who goes through and our coach Ogrosik at times said no you'll flip a coin now in front of us all and whoever wins goes through so it was funny we were at the LA Coliseum in a tented room and they flipped a coin and it was funny because half the team stayed in the bus and half the team went down to the tent. We had this kind of nothing-goes-our-way kind of feeling as Canadian players, especially in that era. When we won the coin toss, we running back up to the bus. Oh, we won. We won. The guys in the bus thought we, we were joking around that we hadn't wanted because nothing ever goes our way. So it went our way in, in that moment. I don't know if that gave us a, just a little bit of belief, but kind of lifted the group, so to speak, and we had an opportunity there at that stage, to go to San Diego and play Mexico, which obviously were then and still are one of the, the top countries in CONCACAF. To go to San Diego and play them in front of a large crowd for them, it's almost a home game for them down in San Diego. It was a great experience. We battled hard and fought. We didn't have the ball a lot and went down 1-0 and we were able to score late to, to make it 1-1. We went into extra time in the golden goal era for that short spell and they got a corner right away off the kickoff they just put pressure on when the corner came, it bounced out. We went down the other end and then scored. And I think that moment, that golden goal moment when we scored and the game ended and just the euphoria. And I think it just added a ton of belief to the group. And if we can knock off Mexico, we can beat anyone. I think we all of a sudden had confidence with the group. We believed in each other. We were fighting for each other. And you know, we were able to get past a very good Trinidad Tobago team in a semifinal to to get to a final. That yeah, was an amazing tournament, a lot of fond memories. So we played Colombia in the final. You know, we were able to beat them 2 0. Fantastic memories, fantastic tournament. I think it's still to this day, we're the only country other than the US and Mexico to ever win the Bull Cup.
0: Playing in the final, could you kind of describe what that scene was like? It
1: was exciting. We were playing against a very good Columbia team, and we knew we weren't going to have a lot of the ball, but a lot of was self-belief in the group. It wasn't a massive crowd. It was a rainy day in the LA Coliseum, and there was a small Canadian contingent with the U.S. and Mexico being out. There wasn't a great crowd, but it was just a great feeling being in the final for your country, and we were able to score in a corner in the first half, which just helped us grow as a group. We gave away a penalty in the second half. Craig Forrest, who was really our man of the tournament, he was fantastic. Our goalkeeper saved a penalty from Fastino Espria, the ex-Newcastle player played for Columbia. We went on and scored another goal. And yeah, just amazing feelings to win a tournament as a Canadian team. Other than that, the only other thing that we had done as a country was qualify for the 86 World Cup. So it was massive for Canadian soccer at the time
0: what was the celebration like? Were you guys celebrating well into the night or how did that go?
1: We were celebrating the locker room and did all that. But the funny thing about it was, is that because they kept changing our flights and as the tournament went on, about half the team flew out that night. I was one of them. A lot of us, because we were heading back to the UK to our teams, we flew out that night. So we didn't really get a group party, so to speak. And it was just kind of dinner and a, a couple of drinks and then off to the airport for most of us.
0: You win the Gold Cup, you're riding this high, you go back to England, and were you able to capitalize on that high?
1: I wasn't. So I had a strange one. There was a turmoil at the club I was at. A new coach had come in just before the Gold Cup. He wanted to bring his own players in. And because I was leaving, he said, if you go, don't come back. So, I mutually terminated my contract and said, Right, if you don't want me, I'll leave. I'm going to the tournament because I really wanted to play for my country. It was a big honor for me. I saw it as a bigger opportunity, and it ended up being a bigger opportunity. The funny thing is, when I went back, the owner of the club called me and wanted me to come back in, but I knew the manager wasn't a massive fan. So, I decided not to go back in. And right around then, I got a call from rochester Rhinos, one of the biggest teams in the usl that year before had won the us open cup and beat four or five mls teams in the win, and they were the biggest club in the usl and offered me a really good contract so i came back to north america
0: you played three seasons in rochester and you mentioned how dominant they they were not only in the usl but beating mls teams What was it like to play for that team, you know, win some titles and have so much success? It was
1: an amazing club at the time. I got there not really understanding the full scope of it. We averaged 11,500 a game, more than some MLS teams. Soccer was riding high in Rochester, had a great club, great ownership. It was run really well. We were kind of the big wigs in the town. We had a lot of MLS quality players in that group players that were offered mls contracts on a yearly basis but just kept turning them down because of how well the club was run and financially they were better off playing in rochester than they were in the mls at the time
0: for you personally what's the favorite memory while playing in rochester be it a goal a game a victory
1: the final of first year was massive i still remember we played minnesota who were one of the the big guns in the usl as well and we beat them two 0 in front of, I want to say about 13, 14,000. Just brilliant. It was a great time. The city was flying high outside of the sport where it's not doing so well now. and Everyone knew who you were and everyone supported the Rhinos.
0: Are you still close with any of your former teammates or managers?
1: Every once in a while, I get a, a note from the coach. I saw Pat Onstad, who's now the GM of Houston Dynamo, was there. I saw him preseason we went and visited the dynamo and so i still keep in touch with him and there's a few other people it was a great group when you have teams that you go through a lot and you win championships with you always kind of have that connection you can always stay in touch
0: what was the, the reason for you deciding not to stay in rochester and moving on in your career
1: so at the end of my third year i went back to england my wife was from stockport where i played previously so we went back to the northwest of England and I, I ended up signing with uh, Macclesfield Town which was a local team and what is now League two. I wanted to try to make a push back in, in England and see if I could move up the leagues but had that opportunity I just went there to train and the manager was my reserve manager when I was at Stockport County and he said look instead of you going on all these trials why don't you just sign and play for us so I did that you know so I spent a bit of time at Macclesfield Town.
0: You're playing there. While you're trying to move up league, did that work out? Or did you end up deciding to come back to North America again? It was doing
1: fine. And when I signed at Max it wasn't a lot of money. It was hardly enough to live off. I was actually living at my father-in-law's house because it wasn't that much money. And just hoping that the next year would be enough money and we could move out. The contract they offered me for next year because the club wasn't a lot and I didn't have a lot of, a ton of options. I ended up Coming back to uh, play for the Montreal Impact, they offered me a, a really good contract. I just kind of looked at the the numbers; it just made more sense to come back to Montreal at the time, and came back to North America.
0: After Montreal, was that when you ended up coming to Dallas to play with the Sidekicks? So I finished
1: the season in Montreal. I had a really good year. I was fans' pick Player of the Year. They offered me a three year contract. The USL season kind of overlapped a little bit with the indoor. But you kind of had enough. If you missed preseason in the, in the outdoor, you could finish the indoor season, so to speak. Because my brother was playing with the Mavericks at the time. And we hadn't really been in the same city for a number of years. And we were so close growing up. It was just an, kind of an opportunity to reconnect. So to sign for the sidekicks for a season. be near my brother, he get to know my oldest son. He was 18 months at the time. And it was just a good chance to reconnect. It was a great time in Dallas, and it just bought me a little time to figure out what my next move was.
0: With the schedule, obviously there would be some conflicts, but were you guys able to catch each other's games?
1: Yeah, we had a ton of time together. It was really good. He came to quite a few of my games. Him and Dirk would come watch. I went to a lot of basketball games that year. My wife was pregnant with our second, so she was like, yeah, you take the other one, and we we would go and uh, watch the Mavs play. It was great. We spent a lot of time with them. We went out to dinner a lot. It was a good time just to reconnect. Something I think we needed as brothers, and it was kind of an abrupt ending in some ways from high school. We kind of just went off on two different tangents and didn't get to see a ton of each other after that until I went to Dallas and played for the sidekicks.
0: Do you have any fun Dirk stories that you can share for the public?
1: My wife my son and Steven and Dirk would go to dinner a lot. He was uh, always around. he'd come to games. It was just great. I mean, because Steven and Dirk were always together. he was around a lot, so he's a great guy. him and Steven are still really close friends to this day, so which is,
0: which is great to see. Was there any thought of staying in Dallas for an extra year just because you're able to reconnect with your brother or were you looking to move on?
1: I didn't enjoy playing indoors so much. I was kind of just looking for my next thing. I ended up getting a really good offer to go back and play for the what were now the Vancouver Whitecaps. They were really trying to start growing towards an MLS was their goal. and Because I'd been in the USL, done well, and won, they thought I was a good fit being a BC kid to come in and help push them in the right direction towards the MLS.
0: What was it like to be a part of that, to grow the game, not just in Vancouver and NBC, but trying to grow the game across Canada?
1: My early professional years, there was two professional teams in Canada at the time, the Montreal Impact and Vancouver Whitecaps. Every once in a while, their team would pop up in Toronto. There wasn't much of a pathway for players in, in Canada, so it was always a struggle. And Anyone who wanted to make it had to leave. So I think the Whitecaps growing and the Montreal Impact and then TFC coming in. It was all just needed to, to grow the game in Canada at that time. So it was great to go back to a Whitecaps franchise that was really trying to build and, and be a big part of that. I really enjoyed it. We were able to win a couple USL championships. Just wasn't quite able to hold on long enough to stay with the team when they started in the MLS.
0: You mentioned that you won a couple titles and also you were the captain of the mm-hmm. Whitecaps for a couple of years. What was it like now that you're the leader and the mentor from where you were earlier in the career where other people were giving you advice to help you grow? How were you able to get your younger teammates better?
1: It was a definite change because through most of my career till then, I wasn't really a leader. I was a great teammate, worked hard, but I did my job and and that was kind of the extent of it, so to speak, and I went back to Vancouver I think I was 27 or so at the time, I had to help some younger players and learn to lead. And it took me a couple of years before I really learned how to lead. And and then I was able to become captain. And I really enjoyed that process of learning to be a leader, trying to grow as a person and a player. It was a really big part of my development to where I am today. Yeah, I keep in touch with quite a few of those players from that era from when I was uh, a captain. It was Great experience. The club was great to me and it was fantastic.
0: Is there any sadness or bitterness in the fact that you couldn't make it to play in the MLS?
1: A little bit. I was a USL All Star my last year with them. I was 34. I felt I could have played at least one year in the MLS at the time, but the club felt at my age, they just didn't feel I could cover the ground needed to. at least from the club standpoint, they valued me as a person and gave me a role in the organization at the time. So they did what they felt was best for the team at the time uh, on the pitch and what they felt was best for the club to keep me around. So a tough pill to swallow because I felt I had more to give, but I'm also grateful that they valued me enough to keep me as part of the organization.
0: Was that the moment your playing career ended or did you decide to continue to play elsewhere?
1: It was tough. It was a rough few months because I felt they had more to give, but did play a little bit over 35s and, and that type of thing for a little while because I just love playing and just to keep fit and active. And when I get a chance to play now, I still love to kick to the ball about. It's usually when I get together with my brother because he's got a team going wherever he is. So the last time I played was a couple months ago with him in New York.
0: Now that you're you know, transitioned into being a coach, what was the hardest part of transitioning for you from a player into a coach? For me,
1: in the early years, it was tough because mentally I go watch the Whitecaps in the early days. I knew in my heart of hearts, and I think they figured out partway through the year that we should have kept them around for another year. So it was tough watching the first year. And a lot of people would tell me like, oh, why aren't you playing? You know, So that hurt, and it was tough to fully move on. It took time. I would say it took a good year, year and a half, till I'd kind of really accepted where I was at to really start growing as a coach. Transition's not easy. Change isn't easy. And my wife really helped me through that a lot. She was a great sounding board, gave great advice and was massive. And and me being able to accept not playing anymore.
0: It's always nice when you have somebody who can be a sounding board, but also be honest and tell you what you need to hear. Maybe not what you'd like to hear.
1: She's been great that way throughout my career. She's just honest. She doesn't sugarcoat things, but says it in the right way. And she gives great advice. And even to this day, she's given me great advice this week on my team. And I listen to her because her advice is good. And she has um, my best interest at heart. It's great to have someone you trust that will give you an outside opinion.
0: With being the head coach of York United right now, What's the biggest difference about being an assistant coach to being the head coach?
1: When I was an assistant, I didn't quite feel the pressures of the, the team performances. That's something I had to learn to deal with. I liked being an assistant. I really am enjoying being a head coach right now and really putting my stamp on a group and watching them grow. So yeah, I'm enjoying the process, working hard, trying to keep learning and, and growing as a coach.
0: What advice would you give for a player who's ending, you know, his or her career in terms of transitioning to coaching and going about how to do that?
1: I talk to players now, older players, going to I coach and plan your next step. Where do you want to be? I think that's a big part of it. If you have plans and you know where you want to get to beyond playing, it'll make it easier. Whether it be coaching or something else in life, you've got to try and set yourself up for what you're, the next stage of your life looks like. It's always going to be difficult when you hang them up because it's something you did. For me, playing professionally for 16 years to hang them up wasn't easy. So you got to make sure you're ready. I wasn't at the time. I was a little bit blindsided, but I wasn't ready. So it made things more difficult. You got to make sure you're ready and make sure it's the right move for you when you do decide to pack it up.
0: So now that you're the coaching side of thing, now as a player, you've been told, hey, we don't have need for your service anymore. As a coach, what did you learn from other managers and coaches telling you to maybe help you to deliver that message to a player who may not be good enough to play for uh, York United or wherever you're coaching later on?
1: I just try to be straightforward honest. Not harsh, but tell them how it is or how I see it. If I'm making the decision, this is how I see it and this is why. You might not like the answer, but I don't want to lie to anyone or sell someone a story. I want to make sure I'm honest. What I enjoyed as a player, when a coach would just be honest with me, I didn't need him to beat around the bush. I always respected coaches that told me how they saw it. Whether I agreed with what they saw or not, I'd rather know how they think, because then I know how to succeed in their world.
0: Who was a coach or a manager that did that for you?
1: Bob Lilly was really good at that. Probably one of the winningest coaches in the USL, and he's still going. He was able to be straightforward and honest. He didn't beat around the bush, didn't really sugarcoat stuff, but really respected how he went about things. He didn't put you down. He just said, this is how I see it. This is how it is for me. And you knew where you stood. That's what I want players around me to know where they stand. And I just enjoy when someone like Bob is is straightforward with you and you know where he's coming from. He always let us know as a coach what we need to do to get in his team, and I want the players in, in my squad to know what they need to do to get in my team. I think it's simple. You don't want players guessing what they're doing or not knowing how to get in the team. These are the qualities I'm looking for. This is in your position, and this is what you need to be doing if you're going to get minutes in this group.
0: With Coach Willie sort of hounding like a mentor, do you ever mm-hmm. call him and say, hey, I'm having an issue with – this player or something off the field to kind of get a little bit of advice?
1: You know what? I don't. I probably should. I do keep in touch with him. I'll talk to him every now and again, just to catch up. I haven't really gone back and asked other coaches that I've played for, for advice, to be honest, probably something I should do.
0: With your brother, Steve, also being involved in the coaching business, albeit in a different sport. Do you guys ever talk about the art of coaching just to kind of bounce things off of each other?
1: We have bounced ideas off. We've talked about many things. Obviously, the sports are different, but a lot of how you go about things can be the same. So giving each other advice. So it's always nice to have a sounding board in that way. I talked to him the other day, and he was giving me a bit of advice. So it was, it's nice to have that ability of him knowing the situation I'm in and be able to give advice when I need it. We've had some really good conversations. and. Our brother-in-law is a coach too, so he uh, has some great conversations with him. With us all being in different sports and coaching at a high level, it's always interesting to get a different point of view.
0: What's the outlook for York United for the rest of the year?
1: This group right now is a work in progress. We've had some good moments, struggled a bit with results, but I think we're close to turning a corner and having a run at it. It's still early in our season, we're only five games in, but yeah, I changed a lot of players in this group this year. We've struggled out of the gates a little bit, but we've also had some good results. So we just try to build off the good results and learn from our mistakes.
0: Martin, thank you so much for joining me on the iPlay 2 podcast. Good luck with the York United and the CPL and best of luck down the road.
1: Thanks, Rob. All the best.